I V M. Hello and welcome to the Wire Talks. I'm Siddharth Bhatia. Our guest today is Christopher Warren, a veteran journalist who is currently the media editor of Crikey, Australia's leading independent news service. He reports on media, old and new, and has been writing about media disruption and innovation for over a decade. Chris uh, recently wrote a piece called "How Australia Ended Up with the Worst Deal Possible," and this is what we'll be talking to him about. The deal he refers to is the fight and the subsequent compromise between the Australian government and tech giants such as Google and Facebook about payment for content to the big media houses. It has been followed closely by governments, companies, media companies, and readers worldwide. Hence, about this we talk to him today. Christopher Warren, welcome to the Wire Talks. There's been a lot of interest in India, especially among uh, those who follow internet policy, as well as the government and, of course, the big media houses in the dispute between the Australian government and the tech giants. I must tell you very, very frankly, I'm confused, and I'm in the media business. Can you please explain it in lay terms to us? At the simplest level, it's about trying to compel the big tech platforms, particularly Google and Facebook, in fact, exclusively Google and Facebook at the moment, to support media organisations through making cash payments and through other consultative mechanisms, which is a, a reflection of the fact that the both Facebook and Google post links or, or enable the posting of links to news journalism. And also because that's now where... Uh, most of the advertising dollars now are in Facebook and Google and the advertising has historically supported journalism. So the argument is the big tech platforms have got the money, which they've got through advertising. That once supported journalism and the argument is that that money should continue to support journalism through payments from the tech platforms to, to directly to journalists or to media companies. So what you're saying essentially is... Content posted uh, from these big media companies, uh, and I presume media companies in general, that goes on to Facebook and Google in either search or where it's posted by uh, people, should be paid for by these two tech giants who take advertising advantage of these things. Is that a good way to sum it up? Well, that's the argument that was made by the by Australia's publishers and also was an argument that was largely getting access to the content either by posting links in search or by people sharing it and commenting on it on, on Facebook. Do the publishers gain an advantage because uh, search and social media both facilitate a process of discovery and so that readers and listeners and viewers are referred to the uh, media sites through finding out about it, either through search uh, or through social media. And there's been a not terribly helpful or not resolvable argument about who benefits the most. Uh, the publishers, of course, say, well, our work is so valuable that, and we spend so much money on preparing it. It must be of immense value to the, both the search engines and to, and to social media. The search engines and Facebook say, well, actually, it's a very small part of our 
uh, of our product, I think search say that news turns up in less than 10% of searches and is actively sought for, that is, people are actually searching for a news story less frequently than that. Uh, Facebook say people on Facebook, about 4% of the posts they see, news-related posts. So there's been this argument about who gets the greatest value out of the relationship between Google and Facebook on the one hand and old media on the other. Uh, The Australian Competition Authority, the ACCC, took up this issue as an antitrust matter because there's no doubt that the Facebook and Google have an effective duopoly online advertising and I think there's now some evidence out of the United States where where Google at least are being sued by a number of the states for misusing their monopoly, that there's some uh, collaboration uh, between Facebook and Google in making sure that between them they keep control of the of that of those advertising dollars but it's less certain i think and and the ACCC said it wasn't able to quantify what the actual value of the exchange was either one way or the other publishers say we give more value to facebook and google facebook and google say well we give more value to to the publishers in, in truth it's a symbiotic relationship uh, both benefit and the question then is well how do the big tech support uh, independent public interest uh, journalism regardless of what value they may or may not, what quantifiable value they may or may not get out of it. And that was kind of where uh, where it uh, all ended up before things blew up in the last couple of weeks. So I may ask a question as a lay person, if this is a tussle between big media companies whose point of view is I do all the work, our reporters go out and get all the news, but a lot of the advertising dollars goes to Facebook and Google. If that argument was going on, and I believe it's going on for a long time, why would the Australian government enter the picture first? And when it did, it came down heavily on the side of the big publishers. You've argued this, you've argued this, that uh, it was speaking the voice of the big publishers. I think that there's no doubt about that. It's been an interesting analysis of how power works in modern society. In financially and technologically, big tech is more powerful than uh, old media or than, than traditional media. Politically, traditional media still carries, has a lot more power than big tech has. And it's an interesting, from a power dynamics perspective, because you would have thought that large corporations, among the largest corporations in the world, should be able to carry more power politically than old declining media companies. But in fact, that's not the case. Politically, media still has uh, has power, more power. I think one of the reasons for that is when power has been around for a long time, as the power of old media has been, or to personalise it, as the power of someone like Rupert Murdoch has been, then it's both more readily understood and is seen as more legitimate. Whereas new power of the, of big tech or, of, again, to personalise it, of someone like Mark Zuckerberg is less readily understood and by virtue of its newness is seen as less legitimate. And the result of that was in... Uh, in Australia, and I think in uh, we, we've seen this in other countries uh, as well. Old uh, the governments are deferring to the concerns of old power 
much more than they are of uh, of new power. That's an interesting way of putting it because Mark Zuckerberg uh, still, um, you know, provokes some level of hostility almost elsewhere too in the United States and uh, in the European Union, Australia now. Even, but I will play the devil's advocate here and say that the point of view advanced by both the tech giants is, uh, let's take two points that they've advanced. One is that as far as news is concerned, it's just 2%. Uh, it's just very low, 10%, as you said, in one case, 4% in another. And secondly, as Facebook tried to show that if we don't carry news at all, amplification of that news content comes down and uh, people suffer, the readers suffer. And why was there even a hue and cry when Facebook said, okay, sorry, we are not going to carry any news content from Australia. That should have been a perfectly valid fight tactic between two sides. Why did it really create a storm? Yes, uh, well, a lot of the hue and cry, of course, was driven by the media. And I think Facebook would say, well, this proves our point, that the value of the exchange lies with the publishers who get, I think the figures that came out last week, were many of them were still getting between uh, 16 and 25% of their referrals from Facebook shares. Uh, and uh, the evidence was when Facebook turned off access to news for those two or three days, that the number of people who of unique views, of unique daily views to the news to the news sites in Australia declined by about 15 to 16%, uh, which would suggest that obviously there's still, there is a fair deal of traffic. But the problem for news media in its reliance on Facebook as a way of driving discovery, of bringing readers and viewers in, of now enabling readers and viewers and listeners to discover them, is that it encourages a particular type of news. I think both uh, Facebook very much operates in what we might call the outrage economy, that news that outrages people or articles or posts that outrage people, that drive people to to comment uh, and to share, get driven up in the Facebook rankings. So that, of course, encourages the publishers, and I think News Corp and the Daily Mail are very good examples of companies that that do this, of feeding that uh, outrage economy. Uh, And so it it changes the sorts of journalism, and I think it's, it's contributed to a change in the sort of journalism that's becoming shared. I think it's changed the nature of politics as well. I think one of the things that's driven outrage politics, Trump obviously is the major example, although India has also had uh, a lot of experiences with politicians driving outrage politics, uh, is because Facebook rewards rewards that outrage, whether it's coming from politicians or from uh, old media. So I think that actually being media are kind of stuck with a bit of a Faustian bargain with Facebook, which is, Yes, they give us one-sixth, one-quarter of our daily referrals, but it's at the price of requiring us to do a certain type of journalism that uh, we would not necessarily think of high-quality public service-oriented journalism in the public interest. In this equation, which is Twitter, which, of course, thrives on uh, outrage, I don't know whether to the same level or less or more, 
but uh, there's constant outrage you know all kinds of really terrible things happen and somebody posts a video it gets a lot of views it's driven by the number of views it's driven by the algorithms it's driven by how people's minds are being shaped why did twitter not uh, be part of this entire dispute well, twitter is much smaller than either uh, facebook and has a much lower advertising ratio i think one of the one of the differences that regulators find or maybe public finds in dealing with Twitter as distinct from uh, Facebook is that most of what happens on Facebook happens out of sight because the algorithm personalizes each individual's particular feed. We've not usually got a really strong handle on how it's impacting society or how it's sharing society. Whereas in Facebook, if something uh, goes viral, then it will end up in everyone's feed. Everyone will, will get to see it. Obviously, Rihanna found in uh, India recently. That sort of thing could go viral on Facebook, have immense impact on Facebook, and uh, yet not really break into media consciousness and, or, and therefore into broader public consciousness. That's why Facebook has always been a, a much more effective, in effect is the right word, tool for fake news because fake news is able to spread virally on Facebook without anyone really understanding or grasping that it's actually happened until, it, until it's too late. And that's before, of course, you take into account secrecy, if you like, or the closed nature of some of the other Facebook products, particularly WhatsApp, uh, where obviously there, there can be immensely dangerous fake news spread uh, on WhatsApp without anyone ever really knowing what's happening with it. But I think it's important when we talk about fake news to understand where fake news comes from. Facebook and WhatsApp and to a much lesser extent Twitter, because it's public, amplifies fake news. But the actual fake news reports, I think according to all studies, driven out of either political leaders, malign state actors, particularly the uh, Russia and Saudi Arabia as leading examples, uh, or by old media. Uh, some of the largest spreaders of fake news uh, uh, is Fox News in the United States, where it not only broadcasts fake news to its audience, to its broadcast audience, but it then repackages it for social media. And because of, coming back to where we were talking about, the, the nature of the outrage economy, because it appeals to the outrage economy, it then becomes very viral in, on Facebook. And Fox on Facebook has been one of the most engaging bits of content, engaging in the sense of they produce the content that more people engage with than, uh, than a lot of other uh, content, at least until the, uh, until the fragmentation in the attitudes of the, news, of the United States right following the uh, last year's election. What about Google, which is just a platform for putting the news? Uh, of course, it prioritizes according to their algorithms, but it just uh, does it. Um, far less, um, I presume it's pushing fake news and other things far less than the others. So why did Google uh, also get uh, combined with Facebook in this entire... Uh... Well, uh, Google and Facebook tend to get put, up, put together because their business model is the same. That is, their, their, their micro-target ads which makes them an incredibly effective. They micro-target ads 
based on the information they collect about you, about individual uh, users, uh, which makes it a very effective tool for for advertisers. But the content that they wrap around the ads, the content that they use to bring people into their platform to get the attention of their uh, of their platform, is of course uh, very different. Uh, Facebook's information, the, the non-advertising stuff on Facebook is much more about trying to grab the attention, whereas search obviously is people finding stuff that they are actually looking for. Uh, so so Facebook has a financial uh, imperative or an, a financial encouragement to spread fake news because people come and listen to it. Google actually has the reverse imperative. They have an imperative that I will only, I go to Google because I want to find something out. I therefore want to find out or find out where I can find something out. I therefore want to be able to rely on that. So you don't need to be able to rely on Facebook. It's there for, it's for entertainment uh, more than anything else. Uh, whereas Facebook is much more there for what the economists will call its utility. Uh, and therefore the, there's a, there's a financial pressure on Google to be reliable, factual, correct, uh, uh, for the needs of its users. Whereas for Facebook, it's, I want you, I want to, you to be, I want to entertain you so that you will stay within the Facebook ecosystem. So I think there's, there's, from a fake news perspective, uh, which is, a, or the disinformation and misinformation perspective, which is such an enormous crisis in the world today, uh, the social media platforms, particularly the closed or semi-closed uh, social media platforms, uh, are the worst. And the more Facebook is closed, and there's a rank from its news feed through its groups through to WhatsApp, uh, the greater the potential is for misinformation and disinformation to be used as a tool to engage its uh, to engage its audience. Now, the fourth part of this quadrangle or this equation, I think you mentioned that quite clearly in your piece, um, which can be read on crikey.com.com, right? .com.au. Yeah, .com.au. So, Chris, your piece brings in the advantages or the disadvantages, and in your case, you've clearly said that the reader has got the worst deal out of it. Has anyone thought about the reader in this entire um, tussle? I don't believe. I think the, the way in which the government came to this issue was misplaced to start with. Uh, this all started as out of a referral from the federal government to the antitrust regulator, the ACCC, to look specifically at the relationship between news media and Google and Facebook. So that's what the ACCC went and looked at, and that's what they found. The report from the ACCC on this matter has an enormous body of incredibly useful information about how tech works. And as a result of that, they've been now authorised to do a lot more research into the impact of the new tech platforms on society, including a very good report that's just come out about how the advertising technology works, how programmatic advertising technology works to basically ensure that only about half the money spent of an ad spend actually ends up with the publisher. The other half is absorbed by the ad tech. Very interesting report and analysis on how that, uh, on how that works. But because the original process started with, well, 
how does this work for the relationship between two corporations? Readers were a bit left out and there was a bit of an assumption by the ACCC without any real work that the readers, users, consumers of news were better served by having, by strengthening the pre-existing players, which in Australia is basically two large companies, rather than trying to drive greater competition, greater diversity within within the news ecosystem. Uh, and so the result of that is we've ended up with a system where the solution to all of that is, well, we'll get the big tech platforms, pay some money to the old media. But the problem is, as always, when you have state-authorised or state-mandated subsidies, the people who get the bigger subsidies benefit disproportionately uh, to the people who get smaller or in many or in some cases uh, no no subsidies at all. So what's happened in Australia is Google is going to be paying somewhere around a hundred a hundred million US dollars uh, to Australian media. Uh, it's hard to work out exactly how much because both Google and the old media want to overstate how much they're paying or how much they're uh, how much they're receiving. And it's unclear how much of it is in-kind support for, for example, Google runs a lot of business services. So it's unclear how much of that money is in-kind business services. But 90% of that hundred-odd million dollars is going to the two or three big corporations, big media corporations uh, in Australia. So that's uh, News Corp, Murdoch's News Corp, uh, and uh, the um, television network Seven West Media that's closely aligned in content with News Corp uh, on the one side and uh, Nine Media, which publishes, which is the major television network and uh, or the largest television network and also publishes the Sydney Morning Herald and the and the Age. So it's 90% of, the, of this money is going to prop up the uh, the news media duopoly so we will have money coming from the big tech duopoly, advertising duopoly, to prop up, overwhelmingly prop up the news, the historical news media duopoly, and the effect of that will be uh, less diversity and less access to, to information. One of the worst parts about it is that there's a provision that enables Facebook to enter into preferential deals with news media companies so that, and the fear is, and I think this is a legitimate fear, is that Facebook will make a, a special arrangement with News Corporation to prioritise News Corp material as part of an ongoing relationship between the two companies, not just in Australia, but around the world. So you're basically saying that the reader has been shortchanged or the reader's concerns have not been taken on board. Well, the reader is no, ends up worse off. Because on the one, on the one hand, they get less access to diversity in the media. And on the other there's no regulation, as was promised, for either the uh, the way in which big tech collects data on uh, on its users, or on the way its algorithm plays to outrage. And in fact, the reason I say it was a terrible deal is because old media got what got what they want: subsidies that, that will strengthen their position against uh, startup media or other media, and. Big tech got what it wanted because money of this scale means nothing to them. 
uh, it was a classic case where the money meant money at this level meant a lot to the publishers, meant nothing to the uh, to the companies that were giving it. But the organisations that are driving diversity, and Google is one of those. So Crikey is one of those organisations, obviously, get um, risk being left behind, and therefore readers get less access to to diversity. I think one of the dangers of that we saw in the way in which the code itself was reported on, because all media, other than some of the independent publications like uh, like Crikey, took the view took the view that having a code was a good thing, getting, publishers getting money was a good thing, that the big tech was obliged to give money to uh, publishers. There was really very little diversity in how old media covered its self-interests in its negotiations with big tech. And certainly there was no question that there was a potential impropriety in old media using its political clout to lean on the government to get money. Speaking about that, Chris, the way the debate has been reported here by the big uh, publishing houses, what one could call the legacy publishing houses, print, television, has been straightforward that this is a model that's worth following elsewhere. All of them, as probably the case everywhere in the world, have been losing revenue, uh, advertising revenue to these two giants. And now they are looking at the prospect of uh, these two giants uh, paying them. There's much more diversity in India, of course, in the big papers. And by the way, some years ago, Facebook had given them money in any case. So they now see this as another revenue stream. And the smaller publishers, sometimes the publishers who's, who may not conform to the news orthodoxy or the news uh, you know, slant, of most houses are going to be simply left behind or left uh, in the cold because the algorithm may just not prioritize them. Well, that is the risk. Though remember, in Australia, the money is not tied to any external data. It's not pro rata based on how how often your articles are searched for or shared on, on Facebook. They're lump sums worked out in negotiations uh, by the government. So there's a, there's a real squeaky wheel phenomenon. The companies that complain the most, like News Corp, tend to get the most. And it's, they actually, it's not certain that they actually need to do anything uh, in return for this money. Google in particular has been very clear that it won't pay what it says, won't pay for links. That is, it won't enter into a formula that says, well, your story's turned up in search items however many times, therefore we'll pay you whatever we'll, whatever the formula says. They've been very clear they're entering into specific publishing arrangements for the big publishers to provide material that'll be published in a new service or a new product that they call News Showcase. Similarly with Facebook, some of the deals of Facebook, big Facebook, the big deal that Facebook has done starting with News Corporation in the United States in 20, late 2019 is for publishing in what's a, a separate news tab, which I think is not available in India yet. It's certainly not available in Australia. And really, I think it tells you everything you need to know about what the publishers were, after, were about, the fact that they, they're happy with that. Because the reality is it's a form of vanity publishing online. There's no evidence that 
when material appears in the news tab or in the news showcase that it actually generates anything like the scale of readership that you would expect. Yes, it gets some readership, but it's no, it's not really of any particular scale. And that's why where, where we end up with is it, it is just big tech giving old media money, uh, go away money. So they give them money so that they will stop complaining about what they're doing. And the reality is the money they are giving is all that money will do for, with old media is fill the hole that will be left by one year or one or two years' worth of decline of advertising income in, in, old, uh, in old media. good example is that with the Nine Network, which is the second May, or Nine, which is the second largest media company after News Corp in Australia, we'll be getting about somewhere between 30 and 45 million Australian dollars. The figures are a bit unclear because they're com- all, quote, commercial in confidence, unquote. That's about as much money as their print publications are going to lose in advertising in the past 12 months. So what it's doing is it's, it's filling a hole for one year, but the decline will continue to, uh, will continue to happen. I think there's another real worry that people really haven't thought through enough, which is that within newspapers, within print companies, or within historical print companies, as you know, there's this tension between they all know the future is digital, but a lot of the money is still in print because of, mainly because of advertising mainly because of some residual advertising that, that particularly is in, that particularly is in, uh, that particularly goes to print. What this will do is it by, this will accelerate the, the, the mix of digital and print revenues so that, again, to take the case of Nine, by next year, newspaper part of its business, about three quarters of its revenues will be in digital because it'll get this lump sum money from Google and some from Facebook and only a quarter of its revenues will be in print. Now, that's a dramatic change. Two years ago, it was close to the other way around. That's a, a very quick change. But, of course, costs are the other way around. About two-thirds of its costs are print, and only one-third of its costs are digital. And so up until now, that balance has meant that, well, you've got to keep, we might as well keep newspapers going because there's, enough, there's enough, uh, enough money in it. But we, this, will, this will accelerate the point at which it is no longer financially viable for them to keep printing uh, newspapers because in, their money will be coming in from subscriptions, from lump sum payments, from the tech payments, whether they print the newspapers or not. And so I think this will probably accelerate the decline of at least Monday to Friday newspapers uh, in, in Australia by to sometime in the next year or so. This money is not recurring, right? And yes, it'll be. It's a. They're usually three-year arrangements, as I understand it. Uh, as I say, they're commercial confidence. The public said they're three or even five-year arrangements. So there'll be annual payments. They will get for News Corp. The rumored figure is about is the equivalent of about thirty-five million US dollars, uh, and that will be a payment made every year, really for not doing much at all, and probably they'll probably get about another ten million US out of Facebook. So they'll be getting about 45 million US dollars from big tech. And that'll be their largest single source of, that'll be the, their media arms, largest single source of, of money. And as we know, you cater your business to where the money comes from, not to 
what you think is a social, uh, what is a social good. And so that as this in one hit will accelerate the domination of digital as an income strand, it will, I think, uh, have a dramatically hurry on the, the end of uh, newspapers appearing in, uh, in, in print. Uh, now, it's going to happen sooner or later. For old print journalists like me, I hate that. I love reading it. No, nothing like picking up a newspaper, as you know. But um, that's not where the market is now. That's not where the audience is uh, now. And now it's not where the money is either. There are other countries closely which are now looking at this. And some have even indicated that they're going to follow this. Canada and Australia are said to be coordinating the European Union, India has not yet said anything openly, but sooner or later, I think this will happen. And uh, though, of course, despite the big media, big old media, uh, the new media, especially Facebook, is beginning to get quite powerful in its relationships uh, with uh, the uh, those who matter. But inevitably, that's going to happen, isn't it? Or some governments may say, this is a bad bargain for our readers. We don't think that the readers got a good deal out of it. Let us make sure that both sides do something to enhance the reader experience and give them more diversity. I think in every country, it will depend on the power relations of big tech, old media and governments. So I think in Canada, and the re- as you say, the readers, the users are of, a, are, are of lesser importance. So I think in Canada, they will do a certain deal. Uh, face, uh, sorry, uh, Google, I should say, announced last year that they were going to give publishers about $1 billion. They didn't put it that way, but that's effectively what they meant, $1 billion a year, a billion US dollars a year. Result in Australia, and I think this is what I also hear internally from within Google, is indicates that well they've they've probably come to terms with the fact that that's going to end up being closer to two or three billion US dollars that they're going to spend. That's a lot of money for media, but it is loose change for Google. The Facebook have just announced this week that they are going to spend one billion US over three years, so about 350 million uh, US a year, which would be pro rata given their respective revenues, about the same. The Google figures works out at somewhere around 2.5% of their revenues will be being paid to publishers. And, of course, those amounts will stay where they are while Google revenues will drive up. So that will, so I think Google will be betting that, look, it's 2.5% of our revenues now but it will end up being maybe one and a half to one percent of our revenues in four or five years, uh, four or five years time. So I think, I think you will see all publishers putting their hand up to try and get a cut of this money. And where, where governments see publishers as having more political power than they see big tech, then I think make some measures to, to assist them. I think the United States will actually be harder for a whole lot of reasons, partly because some of the publishers, some of the biggest publishers have said they don't want it. They've said that they don't believe it's, this is an appropriate process. I think, I think that India itself is going to be a very interesting case to follow because big tech, 
I think, carries more clout in India than uh, than it does in than it does in other countries. Oh, you know, there's no doubt, Mark Zuckerberg, for example, has worked very hard to build a close relationship with Prime Minister Modi and and vice versa. Facebook, particularly, will be m- much more concerned about keeping its relationship in India. I think India is a a much more important market for it than, say, Australia. Even though the their revenues out of Australia are right now about the same as they are uh, out of India, but I think their big fear in India will be that will be what's been called the splinter net. That is, just as China is basically developed its own suite of platforms uh, on which the internet now operates, WeChat, TikTok, Weibo, Baidu, that uh, something similar could happen in India. So I think the, the, for example, I think the launch of coup in India, for example, uh, will be far more dangerous move for the US big tech platforms than having to pay publishers a bit of money around the world. So now it's very important to follow a policy changes in the media landscape, in the tech landscape over the next few years. And presumably, there will be uh, at least some governments, perhaps even publishing houses, but also readers' lobbies, which are going to turn around and say, don't do it in a way that the reader feels left out of the entire process and gets uh, only one side, one type of news, and not a diversity of news because I think smaller publishers are going to feel very, very disoriented if this happens. I think that's right. Small publishers or startup publishers at least were really badly knocked around by Facebook in 2016, 2017, uh, 2018 when they pivoted from uh, pivoted what, what, what they called uh, family and friends uh, so that companies that had built their distribution through a through an understanding of Facebook's algorithm, uh, suddenly found themselves gutted. And so I think and BuzzFeed is the classic case of that. BuzzFeed, which is one of the most interesting innovations in journalism in the era of the mobile and social web, was torn apart by when Google suddenly said, yeah, well, I'm sorry, when Facebook said, well, thanks for that, but we're no longer interested in boosting your information. I think media will be better off actually stepping back from reliance on, particularly on Facebook, uh, as a distribution tool because it is unreliable, they're an unreliable ally and, or an unreliable partner. And they, and because they drive you in a certain instant. But there's a very interesting case in New Zealand where the, uh, the, the largest newspaper company, or now newspaper and digital company, called Stuff, which recently broke off from uh, its Australian parent, uh, the Nine Network, uh, has now decided it's not using Facebook at all. And they say, well, we're paying a price in, in traffic, uh, but they're, they're winning in the sorts of stories that they can write are better geared to the needs of their audience. So they're losing casual readers but gaining loyal readers. And in in an environment where media need to pivot their business models from relying on advertising to relying on their readers, 
that's a far more valuable model than the uh, the the in, than the the implicit Facebook model, which is give us outrage, we'll pump you uh, referrals off the back of that outrage, and you'll be able to sell ads against that audience. Uh, so I think that the good news, the potential good news out of what's happening is that the relationship between news media and Facebook is going to become fractured. Media will pay a price for that. But that will also even the playing field between big mass media or media with that focus on mass audiences, for a better phrase, a startup or niche media, which focus on deep engagement with a particular part of the, the audience. And I think that will generally be a better news ecosystem uh, than, than it will otherwise, than we've had over the past since Facebook started to change everything about 10 years ago. So I think it's going to be a debate which is very, very closely, going to be closely watched everywhere for a while. The dispute initially looked as though the Australian government was stepping in to safeguard the interests of the reader, but it's turned out quite the opposite. And uh, it's come at a major booster, financial booster to the big old tech companies which were losing revenue. But as there are going to be examples where publishers, smaller publishers, startups are going to say, sorry, our journalism matters a lot and we are going to be giving it. And if it doesn't work out, we'll find a way around it. So as a reader, as a somebody part of a startup, I think it's time everybody looked at other alternatives to reach the reader and talk to them with good journalism. Chris, that was a very, very helpful because we, you know, a lot of us were sitting far away and saying, what is exactly going on? And it turns out that what one suspects, the worst case scenario one suspects, a cozy deal between big publishing houses and big tech brokered by the government is exactly what it is. And one saw that and yeah, I think it's going to be followed everywhere in the world. The reader, I think, will find a way around it, I hope. Uh, so thank you very much for joining us and telling us what exactly is happening in Australia and explaining in the context of what could happen elsewhere. Thank you. So that was uh, Christopher Warren, a veteran journalist who writes about the media for Crikey, which is an independent startup site. I think I went and checked them out. It's quite an interesting site. And it is a no-holds-barred site which brings news to the reader which other places don't. We'll be back the next time with another edition of The Wire Talks. Thank you very much. You can check out this podcast and other interesting ones on The Wire website, the IVM podcast website, app, or wherever else that you get your podcasts. Goodbye from me, Siddharth Bhatia, and the Wired Talks podcast team. <laughs>